Welcome to another episode of the Swamp 247 Podcast. I am your host, Graham Hall, joined once again by the fantastic Jacob Rudner. And we have a special episode for you today. Rather than talk about the Florida football program, which has started winter workouts, has a rebuilt coaching staff, and has made many changes to its roster, we're here today to talk about the Florida men's basketball team, which opened SEC play about two weeks ago. We're recording this Thursday, January 18th in the afternoon. And in the time since, the Gators have gone one in three in league play, dropped a very close contest to a Kentucky team that Florida led for the majority of that contest before a dagger three-pointer from Aaron Bradshaw gave the Wildcats a victory in Gainesville. And since then, Florida has dropped two more contests while picking up a win against Arkansas by 22 points. But the losses have not really been Let's say this, they have not really left Florida fans optimistic about Florida moving forward into SEC play, considering the Gators dropped both of those games by double digits, 18-point uh, loss at Ole Miss in the first time that the Gators have allowed more than 100 points in regulation in 15 seasons. And on Tuesday night in Knoxville, in front of a crowd that was not sold out due to inclement weather, in the Knoxville area, it got moved up from 7 p.m. to 5 p.m. Florida dropped that game by 19 points. It was certainly a tough outing for the Florida team as a career performance from Dalton Connect allowed the Gators to have really no chance in that contest from the opening minutes. He was just on fire throughout that game. We're going to talk today about what we've seen in the win over the Razorbacks as well as the three losses to start SEC play here. And Jacob, we're just going to jump right into it. We're going to go all the way back to that Kentucky game because I think it was one where Florida fans maybe weren't as optimistic just based on how good the Wildcats have been. But if you asked Florida's coaching staff and, and Todd Golden what he thought going into that game, that was a game that they expected to win. And, and they led for a majority of the contest before falling late there. Just what do you make of losing to Kentucky there? How difficult was a loss for that program? Because, you know, they came out and said it. That's a that's a little bit of a tougher pill to swallow than when you lose, you know, uh, get blown out on the road. When you lose a game that you lead for the majority of the contest, when you expected to win, that can be a little bit tougher to wash away and get over here. Just what did you make of losing to the Wildcats? Certainly. Well, I, I would start with this. You know, if you point back to our coverage from the days prior to that game, one thing that I thought was really notable was that confidence that you just talked about. There was a sense within the program that that was a winnable game. Todd Golden, after the fact, even came out and said, listen, I went into this expecting to win it. Now, those are the words he used. The expectation for Florida was a victory, and obviously that didn't occur. Some numbers I think are important. It looked increasingly likely that Florida was going to win that game. We're talking right down to the very last second. Florida had a 75% chance of victory, according to Ken Palm, I mean, less than five minutes remaining in the game. And then that percentage obviously drastically worsened until Kentucky won the game. Uh, but it's a devastating loss for all of those reasons. It seemed as though Florida was going to be able to win. It certainly had played the game and had the game plan in order to be able to secure a victory and execution late down the stretch ended up being problematic. We can see, you know, Florida's free throw issues were certainly problematic in that game. Just pulling up the stats here, Florida left, uh, what was it, uh, 11 free throws, 11 points on the line that night in a two-point game. That's significant. 
you go and look at Will Richard, Florida, one of Florida's better shooters, or somebody who is uh, viewed as one of Florida's better shooters, goes 0 for 8 from the field and 0 for 7 from beyond the three-point line. Uh, these were devastating numbers for the Gators, who started out really hot. They had a great first half. Uh, they led, let's see here, they led quite considerably at the half. Looks like Florida. Looks like Florida led by at least five at the half. I don't remember the exact score, uh, but it was encouraging. It seemed as though the Gators had the perfect game plan, and the execution ends up failing. And so I would say uh, that's one of those games that was difficult for Florida. I think emotionally to move on from. Uh, they showed a lot of good signs, though. I would not to speak for you here, but I would say that you and I left that feeling quite encouraged, maybe about Florida's prospects moving forward. And, and I'll let you make the transition here, but uh, I didn't see that at the time necessarily as a sign of really bad things to come. It looked like a team that hadn't had a ton of experience together, played one of the better teams in the country. Kentucky, to me, looks like a Final Four, you know, at least Elite Eight Final Four contender. Uh, and, and Florida isn't able to finish against that team. Uh, I was still encouraged, though. And, and it's the next game that really uh, brought some question marks up for me. But I'll, I'll let you uh, share your opinion there and we'll move forward over to Ole Miss. Yeah, against the Wildcats, I mean, Florida thought that they would have a little bit more of a dominant edge on the glass. They only out-rebounded the Wildcats 43-40 to 40 in that contest. It led John Calipari to quip that, you know, you lose the battle on the glass by three boards to this Florida team. That's out-rebounding them in, in his mind. And I think both coaches could have made an argument in that contest that the free-throw line was – it certainly was a factor for their team. But when you look at, you know, both teams – shooting less than what 70% from the charity stripe. I think the Wildcats left nine at the line as well here. You know, you can't really say that that made the difference necessarily. You know, you mentioned Will Richard. No one really could have predicted that decline from him as a three-point shooter. Obviously, it was something that was on, you know, the scout for the Wildcats, just given the month of production that Richard had, where he was, I think, shooting 44% on long range attempts during Florida's six game win streak in the month of December and just goes cold. You know, that's going to happen to some shooters. And you, you talk to Todd Golden after that game, he expected Florida to bounce back from that contest. You know, it did not happen though. The Gators go on the road to Oxford and, and face a well-coached team led by Chris Beard and a team that had a lot of momentum, got off to a really hard, hot start this season. I think they started 13 and one, had a tough game with Tennessee as well, and, and they really just had their way with the Gators consistently. They played with momentum through all of 40 minutes. Like I said, they had more than 100 points, and I really think that for arguably the first time this season, we know that Florida is a team that likes to get out in transition and can score quickly, but I think that that game highlighted the defensive woes that Florida has struggled with this season, which maybe have flown under the radar given the scoring prowess of this team. You know, you give up 100-plus points to that Ole Miss team. I, I think it certainly raised even more questions that many had of this team. What did you make of that Ole Miss contest and just how demoralizing was it for this Florida team to coming off of a, a close game to Kentucky to then be blown out by the Rebels by 18 up there on the road? Yeah, that, that was a really unsightly game. And I think for a number of reasons, as you mentioned, and it'll start with, you, know, you talked about problems the Gators have had defensively. Ole Miss goes eight for 20 from the three-point line. It's a 40% mark on the night. Uh, it, it, they, they crush them, particularly, uh, you know, Brakefield. I believe he was like nine for, or excuse me, I, I believe he was like two for four, and there were several other guys who shot 50% or better from the arc uh, for the Rebels, and that crushed Florida. Florida was not able to get out 
uh, and cover the perimeter. I would also point to their inside defense was was inadequate throughout that game. Ole Miss shot 67% from two-point range that night. Uh, Florida didn't really have the physicality that we knew it would need to beat a team like Ole Miss. Uh, and those problems extended over the offensive end too. Florida shot a really poor percentage that night. And one thing that we spoke about with Micah Handlocked in the day before the game, Florida knew that the Rebels were going to be aggressive in their shot blocking. It's something that had made Chris Beard's defense so good to start the season. Just looking at the numbers now, the Rebels ranked second in the country in defensive block percentage on the season. Right? They're blocking 17% of shot attempts. So they're, they're lethal inside. They're very aggressive. Florida had prepared for that in its scout to the point where it had talked about it uh, openly in the media. And it looked completely unprepared for it once the game started. And I'm going back here uh, to the stats in the game. Ole Miss blocked 16 shots on the night. So uh, a, a historic night for the Rebels. Jamarian Sharp had nine blocks uh, on the evening against the Gators, who were supposedly prepared for that. And it spoke to, and you wrote about this on the site, some of Florida's interior problems, its physicality, its ability to have somebody play uh, back-to-basket was really sorely lacking in that game. Uh, you know, you can point at other issues that the Gators have had this season. Free throws, again, were an issue, 18 of 26. Uh, honestly, one of the better nights that Florida had had up until that point. Uh, and a lot of concerns. Riley Kugel, somebody else I would bring up, uh, as a general thematically concerning thing from that game, uh, played only four minutes. And that has spoken to the ebb and flow of his season so far. So uh, that was a game where a lot of questions came up. Uh, Todd Golden said it would be easier to put that one behind them than it was the Kentucky game. You just want to wash you know, a, a, a historic blowout. It's not something that you keep in your mind permanently. Uh, we seem to, to see that again in Florida's next game, and I keep moving ahead of you. Uh, but again, momentum has been a problem for Florida this year, and so has consistency. And, and this was the point where I think we saw a lot of the problems that it's had uh, come out and, and kind of rear their head at once. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Riley Kugel because that four-minute performance against the Rebels, Todd Golden said that they just weren't on the same page for that game. Right afterwards, when they got back to Gainesville, Todd and Riley met, and Golden assuaged, I think, any fears that, it would be something that lingers forward or that you would see his role decline even further um, than four minutes, maybe as, you know, being a guy who gets a, a DNP coach's decision, you know, that was certainly, I think a question mark in some people's mind, golden. Absolutely. Like I said, put that to rest, said that he was confident that Riley Kugel would be able to bounce back. And I think in the very next game last Saturday against the Arkansas Razorbacks, a team that came into that contest, Owen two in league play as well. You ask anyone on Florida staff, they kind of expected that to be like a, a Super Bowl in a sense where neither team wanted to start league play 0-3, and they were expecting to get Arkansas's best effort. That game featured a much better performance from Riley Kugel. He led the way with 20 points off the bench. He was aggressive in driving to the rim, and something that I think has flown under the radar a little bit with, with Kugel, you know, he's obviously going to be under the microscope just being a preseason All-SEC guy someone who showed the ability to be a high-impact scorer. I believe he scored in double digits for the final eight games of his freshman season here. Todd Golden said in the preseason that that's going to be a little bit more sporadic this year, just given the amount of shooters that Florida added to the roster, players who are capable of going off on any given night 
along with the return of Will Richard. And I think that you saw Riley Kugel still their most, you know, impressive athlete in my mind as a wing option. His ability to get to the rim is very impressive. He's obviously got a very fantastic dunk package, which he showed off in that contest. And the Gators were able to get a 22 point win against an Arkansas team that many people were saying was not very impressive. But, you know, like I said, we record this on Thursday last night, you know, Arkansas was able to get a very impressive win over Texas A&M against one of the top players in the conference in Wade Taylor, who had 41 points in that contest. You know, they got a great game from Tremont Mark. This is absolutely a win that maybe looks even better for the Gators than it did a couple of days ago, but just getting that bounce back win against Arkansas, and I'm going to let you touch on this, it kind of just underscored to me the belief that Florida has just an edge at home, you know, that they capitalize on home court advantage, maybe play a little bit more physical against some of these teams. You know, granted, Arkansas was giving up some size there, was not a fantastic rebounding team, but it, it did seem like the Gators got back to what has made them successful for much of this season. Just how important of a win was that in your mind, just getting that first conference win under their belt, especially knowing what lies ahead? Yeah, it, critically important. And I, and I will say this, you know, I think I've seen uh, in the weeks since that that game, we've seen a lot of, of discrediting the victory. It's a bad Arkansas team, uh, you know, people trying to dismiss it. I, I wouldn't dismiss an SEC victory, especially against a team that is historically good. Um, so I do think it's important. And I, and I think that I would, the reason I preface it with that uh, is because it's a good win and, and Florida did play well. We, we saw it get back to what's made it good. It's inside scoring was efficient. Uh, Tyree Samuel was seven for 10 from the field. We hadn't seen him shoot the ball like that in, in a couple of weeks at this point, he gets back to himself offensively, finishes the game with a nice rating uh, and gets another double double. He had 11 rebounds in that game. It was his seventh of the year. Uh, I believe if I, if I remember correctly, uh, other players were very good. Riley Kugel, who we just mentioned, was the Ken Palm MVP of the game. Came out with an offensive rating, 141, which is very good. Scored 20 points. Uh, he was 8 for 14 from the field, 2 for 2 from the strike. Uh, had 5 rebounds, a block, uh, and 2 steals. So he was kind of all over, the, all over the, the court for the Gators. Very effective. Off the bench, I should add, which was really important. It's something that I think there were questions maybe about how, how, how well he was going to adjust uh, to that six-man high-usage bench role. All signs in that game pointed to very good. Alex Condon, I think, gets overlooked for his performance in that game. He actually had the highest offensive rating of any Florida player in 23 minutes. Uh, seven points was, let's see, two for three from the field. Both of them for inside two-point ranges, only missed from outside of it. Uh, three for four from the line, which is a rate we haven't really seen from him this season. Nine rebounds and three blocks. So uh, all around, very well balanced performance. I think Todd Golden adequately described it as their most well-rounded game of the season to date, uh, and it was just all in all a good night. I think that the question fairly was how were the Gators going to translate the momentum that they generated in that contest uh, moving forward? And and we had talked to the players afterward, and they talked about uh, the importance of playing together and communicating, and like you had mentioned, physicality defensively. Uh, but whether or not those things were going to stick. Uh, to me, was one of the bigger questions of the season. And we we are learning still, I think, uh, what that exactly is going to look like. Yeah, it's very hard, obviously, to sustain momentum in SEC play. I think that you look around. I mean, Kentucky has dropped games to LSU. 
you see a lot of close contests on the night. I, I really do feel like this is a league where anyone can contend with anyone. And it's obviously a league that's going to get even deeper next season with the addition of Texas and Oklahoma to the conference. I think that you look at just how difficult it is to put together complete performances in back-to-back contests. Florida has really epitomized that recently. I, I thought that, like you said, Alex Condon looked impressive at home against the Razorbacks. His improvement has been absolutely uh, a tangible, noticeable thing for the Gators throughout this season. I think you could even make an argument that he has been more effective than Micah Hanlogden has been over the recent weeks. And I wouldn't be surprised in the weeks that followed that we see Condon play an even larger role against SEC competition unless Hanlogden is able to get back to the return to form that he displayed to begin the season where he was able to finish around, you know, smaller guys inside the paint and and be able to be a force as a shot blocker on the defensive end. But going into Knoxville, the Gators had a kind of a quick turnaround. You know, they play Saturday afternoon and, and then head up to Knoxville on Monday, had to beat the inclement weather there that closed a bunch of airports and rows up there in Knoxville. Again, like I said, that game gets moved up to 5 p.m. And if you talk to Todd Golden and Florida's players ahead of the contest on Monday, they pretty much spelled out what this game would come down to. They had to play with more of a physical edge inside the, you know, the painted area for them to have a chance against the volunteers. They had to be physical and they were going to have to knock down shots. And I, I really feel like they went 0 for 3 in that regard. And it is kind of a in the days since it's been, I think a bit of a demoralizing loss for this team because it started so promisingly, you come off of a six game win streak in the month of December. And now you start conference play with three losses. And I think two of them have been embarrassing. And one of them has just been demoralizing. And that's absolutely not the way you want the first half of the month of the season to go and sec play. what did you make of that Tennessee game? And aside from the lack of physicality and defensive edge, what stood out to you? about Florida's inability to make up a deficit that was sizable. And obviously, I think that we got to touch on, you know, Dalton Connect. I mean, what he did uh, a game prior when it looked like Georgia was going to upset Tennessee, but, you know, he could not be denied down the stretch there. They rallied from an eight-point deficit, outscored the Bulldogs, I think, 21-7 to down the stretch there and got that victory. And then, you know, you assume that a guy like that is going to be on your scouting report as stopping him being the key factor in your contest, but he ends up having an even better game, which kind of adds insult to injury in my mind. Just how demoralizing was that loss in your opinion? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, anytime you you go on the road and you get embarrassed, and I should add that this is now the second time that Florida had this season already has gone on the road in SEC play and been embarrassed, and it's only four games in, uh, and that hurts. I do agree with your sentiment uh, with regard to how Connect was able to perform, uh, stopping him is difficult. And, and and as Todd Golden pointed out after the game, it, it's just the truth, he has done that against a lot of teams already so far this season. That is what he uh, it has been. I mean, he's phenomenal. It was a, it was a massive transfer win uh, for the Volunteers out of Northern Colorado. Uh, I think that it was tough to see just how successful he was. It was almost one of those, we know he's great. We have nothing that we can do to stop him. And that is, uh, you know, it's demoralizing when you look at it that way. I think if you frame it as, well, you know, it's occurred to everybody, uh, that may kind of make it sting less. But I I think the reality is, is that Florida just simply didn't have anything it could do uh, to to slow him down. And that's tough. 
I, I would also say that this was one of the worst offensive performances we've seen under Todd Golden. That includes, you know, a host of games last year where you and I left, you know, kind of scratching our heads about the offensive approach and execution, I think more specifically of things offensively. And this was one of those games for a team that has actually been quite good on the offensive end. The Gators shot five of 22 from the three point line. Uh, they were 15 of 46 inside two point range. I think one stat that really, uh, blew my mind was they were 10 for 30 on layups uh, throughout the game. Uh, I mean, and, and this is also on a day where they had a very high volume of offensive rebounds, 19 offensive boards uh, on the day, further reinforcing that number four ranking in the category on the season. And they just could not capitalize. And this was against, of course, a Tennessee team that is ranked third or was ranked third uh, going into that game nationally in adjusted defensive efficiency. And this isn't to take anything away from Tennessee or, or prop up Florida, uh, I think it's a bad loss against a team that we knew Florida was going to lose to. I, you know, to say that the Gators even had a puncher's chance in that game may have been generous. Um, but look, you know, uh, you lose by 19, uh, you give up 39 points to a single player. Those are things that sting. I think that the Gators are better uh, than what they showed that night, but I think they also showed a lot of the cracks in their armor. Uh, and I think that that is the reason that the game was so demoralizing. It's not necessarily that you know, Ken Palm number 45 or so Florida uh, lost to Ken Palm number, whatever Tennessee is, you know, top 12. Uh, that's expected. I think it's the uh, things that were exposed throughout that game that really uh, kind of slow down some of the momentum, I think, emotionally uh, from some of the fans. I think that some of the, the wind in the sails of how successful this team can be this regular season uh, was taken out. And does it mean that they still can't achieve their potential. You and I talked about this before the podcast. No, I, I think that they absolutely can still achieve uh, a reasonably high ceiling. And I think that that was something you were going to mention. So I'll, I'll let you do that. Just with the next games that they have coming up and they can still set themselves up for a nice record and maybe even a tournament appearance. Uh, but this certainly showed that there are also some lows that this team can hit uh, and that the floor for this team might be kind of disappointing. And so uh, we'll just have to see what the path looks like moving forward. And I, I think that the concerns that people have at this point are valid. Uh, but I also think that the people who are remaining optimistic uh, with regard to what this team might be able to do are, are well within their reason too. And so to me, it's a wait and see kind of thing. Uh, was this a loss that hurts? Yes. Was it on the road to a very good team that we knew was capable of doing something like this? Also, yes. Uh, the response needs to be in the next three games really. And, and I don't see a way in which Florida can lose those and then truly maintain uh, it's positive beliefs with regard to that season, but uh, I'll let you uh, fill in on that because I know that's something that you had been thinking about and had written about on our message board. Yeah. I, I wrote about this on swamp two, four, seven yesterday on the board. If you're a VIP member, go check it out. You can have a little bit more in-depth take on how I feel, but in short, I think that when this team struggles to score from long range, their lack of a reliable front court scoring threat, a true back to the basket guy who you can maybe slow it down a little bit and and go and get a one-on-one -on -one matchup that's favorable with a guy with size who can handle the physicality that seems to be lacking for this team. And not to say that Florida didn't envision, you know, this would be a problem. They actually thought that when they went out and got Tyree Samuel and added Alex Condon, you know, that those would be a, a duo that would be capable of shouldering the scoring load that was going to be missing with the departure of Colin Castleton from last season's roster. I think that Tyree Samuel has played well. You mentioned, I think, what, eight double-doubles 
on the season. He's been able to rebound at a high rate and he's been able to clean up around the basket, but I do think he lacks some polish as a front court scorer. Doesn't really have a, a great bag of low post moves to win one-on-one matchups. And I don't think any of those guys are as adept passers as Colin Castleton was last season. Castleton was averaging nearly three assists per game before he went, you know, went down and the group of, you know, Tyree Samuel, Micah Hanlockton, Thomas Hawk, and Alex Condon. I, I don't think any of those guys are really averaging more than two per game. I think that through 17 games so far this season, Tyree Samuel leads the team in assists in terms of the front court players. He has just over 30 through 17 contests. So certainly something in my mind that has been missing. But as you mentioned, you know, these next few games may be even more critical for Florida's hopes of making the, the NCAA tournament. Um, obviously still within reach here if they take care of business, win some games on the road. But these upcoming games, starting with Missouri on Saturday, how critical are they in your mind? Because I look at these games and say, like you said, there's no way that Florida can lose these games. But obviously it's the SEC. Upsets happen all the time. Anyone can contend with anyone. And when you're going on the road to a place like Columbia, a place that's you know maybe going to deal with some travel issues as well, just given the the weather up there in Columbia. Um, this could be certainly one that if Florida plays the way that they did against Tennessee, if they shoot a, a low percentage from three-point range or they get into foul trouble or have free throw woes, this could be a game that Florida finds itself on the losing side of once again, just how important is it in your mind that the Gators just given the rest of the way, how they've already started, that they pick up some wins here in conference play against very, uh, you know, I think overmatched opponents based on the way Florida has performed this season. Yeah. I mean, I, I will just go back to what I just said, which is that these games are critical The you know, Missouri on the road up next, Florida has a 62% chance of victory as, as assessed by Ken Palm. Uh, it's going to be a close game though. Missouri's ranked outside the top 100 and Ken Palm probably will stay outside of that range uh, by the time the game tips off on Saturday. And, and that's a game that Florida has to win. It's not, a you know gray area contest. This is a must-win situation. Uh, Florida has performed very poorly against Ken Palm top 100 teams. This is right on the cusp of that. Uh, you got to win this. And if you don't, I think that that is kind of one of those like one nail in a coffin kind of a thing. And I'm not saying it's the last nail and it's over, but it's a it's a big one and it's a, it's it's a it's a significant step in the wrong direction. Uh, after that, number 30 Mississippi State comes to Gainesville. That will be critical. Florida needs top 30, top 45 wins, especially on its home court. Can't afford to have a Kentucky situation where you look good for, you know, 90% of the contest and you let it slip, have to win that game. However, it's still projected to be close two point game, according to Ken Palm. So it's not going to be easy. Uh, the Gators then stay at home. They face Georgia. It's going to be a close game. Georgia's look good. Uh, so far this season, big riser in the Ken Palm now top 70 at number 69. Uh, Mike White, has that team playing in a good way. Uh, and then those games after that get interesting too, and, I, and I'll bring them up just for the sake of the conversation. Florida goes to Lexington to face Kentucky, to Texas A&M to face the Aggies, and then they return home to face top five Auburn. None of those games are favorable matchups at this point. For the Gators, they've already lost to the Wildcats. Texas A&M looks really good this season, and that will be in Aggie land, so that's going to be more difficult. And Auburn, of course, is, is excellent and looks like a team that could contend for a title. Those will not be gimmies. 
you need three wins before a stretch that could easily turn into three losses uh, if you're the Gators at this point. Yeah, without a doubt. And we will have a ton more coverage coming at Swamp 247 of Florida's upcoming games, as well as, of course, recruiting and transfer portal content, which never seems to stop over at Swamp 247. We'll be talking to head coach Todd Golden tomorrow morning, Friday, before they get on a plane and head to Columbia, Missouri for that contest. Make sure you stay tuned at Swamp 247. And we'll be back very soon to talk more basketball, football, and bas- and baseball starting up pretty soon here in Gainesville. I know it's an exciting time for a lot of fans. A lot going on in Gainesville. For Jacob Brunner, I'm Graham Hall. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.